Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the uh, reception to follow. You know, the way I, I look at this is I've poured my heart and soul into this place for 14 years, and the elders have paid me well. We're good. But you guys had other plans, and I appreciate the meal, and I appreciate all that. And certainly, I, I, I don't think it's necessary, but I'm very appreciative. I also want you to know, because many have asked, this is not my last Sunday, so I'll be with you next week. My uh, plan is for Libby and I to get up Thursday morning, November the 2nd, and drive to Dixon, and then uh, spend the day on Friday setting up my office and things like that. Saturday, they have a prayer breakfast for um, you know the new work, and then Sunday, it's hit the ground running. That's November the 6th, so that's the plan. Uh, so I'll be with you next Sunday. If you want to hear a last sermon, um, that'll be next Sunday, but I'll, I'll go ahead and set the stage for that. I don't plan on that being some, you know, crying and bawling and squalling kind of sermon. Uh, I've already thought about what do I want to leave you with, and it's not something like that. So uh, I hope you'll be here for that as well. But thank you for being here this morning. Um, in 1995, in New Jersey, a man was arrested for stealing a truckload of Snapple. Remember Snapple? Used to be a really popular drink. Apparently, the gentleman used to work at Snapple, but he was fired for stealing, guess what? Snapple, yeah. So he dressed himself up like a delivery guy, and he stole a truckload of Snapple because that was his favorite beverage. The arresting officer made this statement. He said, he just has an uncontrollable appetite for Snapple beverages. Can you relate? Absolutely you can. Every single one of you knows exactly what that guy was going through. Because every single one of us has an appetite for something. And if we're not careful, it can get out of control. It may not be for Snapple. It may be climbing the ladder of success. It may be a college degree. It may be, you know, winning. Whatever it may be, we all know what it's like to be ruled by an appetite. And it may sound crazy. I mean, it may seem strange. We may chuckle at a guy who steals a truckload of Snapple, but our appetites can make us do some pretty crazy things. Appetites are powerful. So powerful, in fact, that they can rule your life, which means that they pose a major threat to our integrity. What is integrity? Remember we said last week that integrity is integrating your heart's values into your daily actions. Integrity is doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. Integrity is doing what you ought to do even if it costs you. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And it is. Conceptually, it's easy. I mean, you just do the right thing. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And doing the wrong thing is the wrong thing to do. But if it were that easy... Everyone would do the right thing all the time. And you know, as well as I do, that they don't. You don't. None of us do the right thing all the time because our appetites are demanding. It's not even enough to believe right things. You can believe right and do wrong. In fact, our appetites can make us hypocrites. You can be ruled by an appetite in spite of your beliefs. When we first moved here, I coached my son's soccer team for several years when he was little. And one year I had the great idea that we were going to be like the professional teams and we were going to get a sponsor for the front of our jerseys. And that sponsor was going to be the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. And I thought this would show the opposing team, the referee, the, the, the fans that we play for something bigger. 
that we're represented by a church, specifically the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. What great advertising that would be. So the first game came around, and we didn't have our new jerseys yet, and so we were wearing our old uniforms. And the game didn't go exactly like I thought it should. And so I said something to the referee about a questionable call. The opposing coach didn't like me saying something to the referee, and so he got involved. Then the opposing fans got involved. Then our fans thought they should defend my honor, and they got involved. And it became a really chaotic, embarrassing situation. And after the match, my assistant coach, who goes to Southern Hills, he, he looked at me and he goes, you sure you want to put Oldham Lane Church of Christ on the front of those jerseys? <laughs> I understood his point. Here I thought I was standing for what was right, when in actuality I was probably compromising my integrity for the sake of winning. You know, I thought it would be a good idea at one time to get stickers to put on the back glass of your vehicle. So everybody here could get a sticker that would say, I love the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. thought that would be great advertising, right? Unless you're a terrible driver. <laughs> Unless you give someone a rude gesture when they cut you off in traffic, then it's not real good publicity, is it? Integrity is our decision-making filter. Before engaging in any activity, we should ask the question, how will this affect my integrity? How will this affect my character? What will this do to my influence? Or here's another way to look at it. What's my price tag? What is your price tag? Can you be bought? And if so, what's the going rate for your integrity? Because every person has a price. What is yours? How much is your purity worth? Some have sold their pur purity pretty cheap. They have given their purity to a boy or girl who said, I love you. When in the end, that, that love was just lust in disguise. You young people, I'm talking mainly to you, understand that your purity is not yours. That it is reserved for your future spouse, and that's it. How much is your innocence worth? There are those who have sold their innocence for a dirt cheap price. They have given their innocence away to the internet or to entertainment or to all sorts of lust of the flesh. How much is your mind worth? You know, actions begin in the mind, and the devil knows where you are vulnerable. He also knows that the mind is the most unprotected piece of us a lot of times. You know, Paul said, take every thought captive. For so many of us, the mind is left unprotected, and we don't take every thought captive, and the devil preys on that. How much is your integrity worth? Some have sold it at bargain basement prices. They have lied, they have de deceived, they have stolen, they have cheated, they have gossiped, they have even completely been dishonest in an effort to impress others, to fit in, to get ahead, to move up the ladder of success. How much is your soul worth? Some have forfeited their soul to gain the world. Some have traded eternity for sexual pleasure, for a drug-induced high for an alcoholic escape. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And unfortunately, he'll give just about anything to have a, a satisfactory moment. The devil is seeking to buy your loyalty. Knows your price, he knows your appetites, and he knows that our appetites have a one-word vocabulary. Do you know what it is? It's more. 
your appetite will never be fully and finally satisfied. You will never be filled chasing a worldly appetite. You will never find value in the instant. Satan knows this, but he also knows that our appetites are powerful and pleasurable and attractive. He allows us to to be deceived. He seeks to draw us in. He wants us to think that it's a bargain, but you'll pay dearly in the end. There is no eternal value in what he has to offer. What seems pleasurable in the moment, in the short term, eventually leads to eternal misery. Such is the consequence of being a sellout. And the Bible is filled with example after example of people who sold out for momentary pleasure. Adam and Eve were the first. They were the first sellouts. Cain sold out to his jealousy and his anger. David, of course, comes to mind. Sexual temptation was his price. Solomon sold out to foreign women and the high price of fame and fortune. Samson, as we talked about last Sunday night, sold out for a little pleasure, a little drink. Peter sold out as he denied Jesus three times. Demas sold out to a love of the world. And then, of course, Judas had a very specific price tag on his soul, 30 pieces of silver. What's your price? And understand this, you have already been bought. Paul said it. For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Imagine that some random realtor comes and puts a for sale sign in your yard. What would you think? You'd be rather confused. Maybe he got the wrong house. So you begin asking questions and he says, no, it's like a good house. I'd like to sell it. Well, but you can't. You can't sell this house because it belongs to me, right? I don't care what you think about the house, it's not yours to sell. Why do we want to sell what God owns? Don't sell off your integrity when you're already bought at a price. God owns every inch of this real estate and he continues to increase it in value. Therefore, you're off the market. You know what the two biggest appetites are, generally speaking? The two biggest appetites for most human beings are food and sex. And what do you... What do you see about these two things? What, what pops into your mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you see those two appetites? That they're good. I mean, they are. They're, they're, they're meant to be good. Food is good. You need food. You need food for nourishment. You need food to strengthen your body. You need food to function. Food can be a good thing. However, an overindulgence or gluttony is sin. Sex is a gift from God. It's a good thing. It's meant to be a good thing as long as it is done in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Outside of that, it becomes sin, which just proves the point that a lot of the things that are uncontrolled appetites for us are things that originate with God and are good, but we as man have perverted them. There are certainly other appetites that pose a threat to our integrity, a host of others, power, prestige, popularity, possessions, all the P's, and the list goes on. All of us have a choice to make. Will I be guided by my appetite or my integrity? Proverbs 11.3 reads, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the treacherous will destroy them. So the upright takes the long look. They see the long-term result, while the treacherous are short-sighted, and they only see the immediate payoff. Our appetites major in the now. 
They want now, not later. Instant gratification is their specialty, which means that we have to say no to protect our integrity. We have to say no to our appetite to protect our integrity. And that's really hard because when you're hungry, you want to eat. And when you're really hungry, you don't want a slow-cooked meal. You want something right then that fills you up instantly. You want McDonald's or Wendy's. Look with me at Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 27, it reads, When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a civilized man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked a stew one day, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Please, let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there, for I am exhausted. Therefore, he was called Edom by name. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and he got up and went on his way. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, many of you know the story of Jacob and Esau. If we wanted to be historically and grammatically correct, we'd call it Esau and Jacob because the firstborn was always listed first. But either way, you know the story. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. Understand what the birthright meant. The birthright was reserved for the firstborn son. It was a special privilege. And it wasn't given to someone who was smart, uh, talented. The only prerequisite is that you were the firstborn son. Now, that would be a little bit understandable if you only had a couple of kids. But in this day and age, people had a boatload of children. And so no matter how many kids came after, no matter how many sons came after that firstborn, he was entitled to a double portion of the father's inheritance. Now, one of the greatest privileges that came along with this is he was the judge and jury on family disputes. So anytime there was a squabble within the family, he got to rule on it, and whatever he said was what was treated as the gospel. This was a big deal because it was equivalent to God's blessing over you. That's the birthright, and that's what Esau gave up for a bowl of stew. And you say, stew? Really? I mean, how dumb is that? that you would give up your future for a bowl of stew. I mean, it's like the guy going to prison for stealing a truckload of Snapple, right? How incredibly dumb is that? You know what else it's like? It's like giving up your marriage for images on a computer. It's like losing your wife and kids over a one-night stand. It's like forfeiting your career because of an addiction. We make silly unreasonable, dumb decisions, devastating trade-offs all the time. We give up later for now all the time. Look at verse 30 again. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there for I'm exhausted. If you use the NIV, it states, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Esau is hangry. You ever been hangry? You're tired and you're hungry and you're angry about it? 
You're angry that you're tired and you're hungry. You just want something now. Esau smells this delicious concoction that Jacob is cooking up. And he says, quick, give me some of that. My, that's his appetite talking, right? Now, hurry up. I need it. I want it. I got to have it. Give it to me. And because he is famished, because his appetite has taken center stage, he's vulnerable. He's a sitting duck and his brother knows it. Any of you here the youngest in the family? Yeah, being the youngest in the family, it's rare that you have any kind of leverage, right? I mean, if you're the youngest in the family, it's likely that you were mocked and ridiculed constantly by your siblings. Perhaps they used you as their own personal punching bag. And the only way to get even is to wait, right? To wait until you got older and a little bigger and a little stronger. Then you could fight back. But until then, you just kind of had to take it. Unless, unless on that rare occasion that your siblings messed up. And you had some dirt. Oh, you don't want me to tell mom and dad that I saw you smoking? Okay, well, what's that worth to you? Oh, you don't want me to tell mom and dad that you were hanging out with those people that they told you not to hang out with? Okay, well, what are you going to give me in hush money? What's it, what's it to you for me to keep that secret, right? It's rare that the younger weaker sibling has leverage over the older, stronger sibling, but Jacob's in rarefied air here. He has the opportunity, and he's ready to take full advantage of it. The shrewd Jacob is thinking to himself, what's the most I can get out of this? And so he says to Esau, first, sell me your birthright. Well, go big or go home, right? Of course, the responsible thing for Esau to do would be to respond with, yeah, right, try again. But he doesn't. Who in their right mind would trade their future for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their integrity for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their self-respect for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their relationship with their kids for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their reputation, their profession, their marriage, their soul for a bowl of stew? And the answer is nobody and potentially everybody. We read this story and we think it's ridiculous. Nobody's going to trade their future for a bowl of stew. I mean, that better be the best tasting stew that you've ever had. Nobody would do such a thing. But before you sit in judgment, realize you don't have the stew sitting in front of you. And you're not famished. It's a whole different deal when the stew is in front of you. And you've got a decision to make. Just wait until you have the stew sitting in front of you and you have to decide because it's amazing the bad transactions and the bad decisions that we have made in a moment of weakness. Look at verse 32. Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what use then is the birthright to me? Well, that's a little dramatic, isn't it? You're about to die? You just walked into the tent, bud. You're not about to die, really? But these are the words of right now. Esau is building his case, and he's using a tactic that we've all used from time to time, especially when we want to live for the now, and it's called justification. He's justifying his appetite while Jacob is over here stirring his delicious concoction. He's thinking about the possibilities. What good is the birthright to me, Esau says. In other words, it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean, who cares? It doesn't do me any good right now, and Jacob is more than willing to play along. Yeah, it really doesn't do you any good right now. What do you need it for? Of course, it's worth everything later. And I hear something, don't you? 
I hear the echo of the words from Proverbs chapter 11. The integrity of the upright will guide them. The upright sees right. The treacherous see the moment. They see the now. It's easy to just look at the now and not think about the later. Now is now. And now, now, it's gone. Now is now, and that now, well, it's over, right? It's gone in a flash, and all you're left with is the less than appetizing aftermath of now. Verses 33 and 34. And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and gave up and, and got up and went on his way. So Esau despised his birthright. And again, we read this and we think this is insane. Who does this? Who in the world would trade their future for a bowl of stew? But even if it was the best tasting stew Esau had ever had, it still doesn't make sense. However, I'm sure other people have thought the same thing about some of the decisions that we've made. I've had parents come to me when I was a youth minister asking for help because they were watching their kid make one bad decision after another and they didn't know what to do. They were such dumb decisions. And they just wanted some guidance, some help, something, because they didn't know how to get through to them. We make lopsided trades all the time, and we convince ourselves that it's worth it, that it's not that big a deal. We decide that we don't care, but only when it's too late to care. But notice that last line again. So Esau despised his birthright. I mean, what else could he have done? I was dying, Esau said. I needed, a, I needed sustenance. I mean, who cares about a silly birthright anyway? Like, what good does that do me now? Esau lied to himself to save face with himself. But Esau teaches us something that many of us already know, and that is it doesn't like, look like a bowl of stew when it's sitting there in front of you, right? It doesn't look like a bowl of stew in the moment. It's the now, and in the now, that's the most important thing. Sustenance is the most important thing in the now. That's the only thing that matters is satisfying our appetite. It's only later that we see it as a bowl of stew and the regret sets in. And by the way, remember when we talked about structural integrity last week and how your integrity affects other people, good or bad? Do you see that here? Oh, you better believe it. Integrity is personal, but it's not private. And you see that a breach in integrity affects other people. Because by the way, what are Jacob and Esau known as later on? What two nations come out of them? Israel and Edom, right? And Israel and Edom continue this sibling rivalry. Even though there's a connection between the two, they were at odds. The bond was betrayed in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. When Babylon invaded and destroyed Jerusalem, Edom swept in and took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities, capturing and killing other Israelite refugees. Long story short, compromised integrity led to collateral damage. Here's my question for you this morning. What's your bowl of stew? What's your bowl of stew? What is competing with your integrity? What do you have a difficult time saying no to? What are you talking yourself into that others are trying to talk yourself out of? Like Esau, you know what hangs in the balance. You can't claim ignorance here. Paul said it best when he said, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. You do understand that you have a birthright. 
You have been gifted a birthright. You have an inheritance that is far greater than anything Esau or Jacob could have ever owned or been privileged to. This inheritance entitles you to an eternity with the Heavenly Father. There are certainly physical riches that you can enjoy now, spiritual benefit that you can enjoy now, but greater than that is the eternal reward. We enjoy privileges now, but there are certainly eternal privileges that we get to reap later. So here's my advice. Don't trade what you value most for something that you have an appetite for now. Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. I was reading a story the other day, of sports, believe it or not. It was about the Tishomingo High School football team. I think it was in Mississippi. Seven seconds left in the game. They were ahead 16 to 14. And so the coach for Tishomingo rather than just running out the clock, taking a knee, decides to run one more play. He has his son, who's the quarterback, take the handoff, give it to Shane Hill, the running back, and run in the opposite direction. So the quarterback takes the snap, hands it to the tailback, and the tailback runs the opposite direction all the way to the other team's end zone, which is a safety. The score is now tied 16 to 16 with no time on the clock. It's going to overtime. And people in the stands are going, what are you doing? What in the world is going on? The coach knew exactly what he was doing. In order to make the playoffs, they had to win by four. Up two with seven seconds to go and 40 yards to score a touchdown. The coach weighed his eyes. He didn't like those odds. So he decided the only thing to do would be to get a safety for the other team, go to overtime, and hope that he can score more than four points to go to the playoffs. And he did. And overtime, they scored a touchdown. They won 22-16. to 16. They go to the playoffs. The other team doesn't. The other coach was incensed because he knew exactly what was going on. As soon as the tailback started running the other direction, he's screaming at his players, just tackle him. If they would have tackled him, they would have gotten to go to the playoffs. But everybody was so confused about what was happening. Really a strange story, but one that worked out for the coach. And I wonder if people see us the same way. As Christians, I wonder if they see us the same way. I wonder if they look at us and they say, what are you doing? Why are you running in the wrong direction? Well, we know what we're doing. To them, it looks odd. To them, it looks like losing. But for us, it's winning. It's winning. We are running actually in the right direction. We are protecting our integrity by taking the ball and running towards the goal line of eternity. We know exactly what we're doing. But we face opposition. We face people that tell, you know, just enjoy the now. Just enjoy the now. Why, why are you doing this? This is, a, this is an easy trade-off. But if you want to protect your integrity and your inheritance then you got to think long-term. That's what integrity is all about. It's about doing the right thing even when others think it's the wrong thing. It's about running in the opposite direction of the crowd. And the best part is that it's, it's called winning. So what's your bowl of stew? What do you need to say no to in order to say yes to God? 
And if you need help with that this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.